The Giles Files is sponsored by BetterHelp. Affordable, professional online therapy from any device, text, chat, and video. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. Join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with a BetterHelp therapist. And here's a special offer for Giles Files listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash gilesfiles. That's betterhelp.com slash gilesfiles. And thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. It's the Giles Files Season 3. More Bafo shows, that's a guarantee. Nancy Giles and producer Nancy Wyatt, we got opinions we ain't keeping quiet on the Giles Files Season 3. Okay? Hi, I'm Marcus Flowers, the Army veteran and Democrat running to unseat Marjorie Taylor Greene in Georgia. This is my best friend, Max. We've been together for 91 dog years. He has three legs, and we do just about everything together. So when we launched this campaign, I decided to name him Senior Advisor. And that's why I'll always work for better healthcare, rural broadband, and most importantly, universal dog treats for all. Cut, who's adding these dog lines to the script? So we're gonna start out with a really tough question. Is your senior advisor, Max, going to join us? Well, Max is up in the room with Mama, hanging out so, to keep him quiet, but that's going to be pretty hard. So okay. Max is <laughs> one of three. That was that was a great uh, promo you did. That was really cute. Amazing. Well, thank you. The guys worked hard on him. Um, you know, I just kind of showed up and said some lines, but we had fun making that one. That yeah, was, yeah. Chasing Max around the <laughs> building and... And getting outside and running away, you know, a dog, for a dog with three legs, he's pretty quick. I know, he's I so, know. Oh, that's so, so sweet. The first time I spotted Marcus Flowers, I thought, huh, now who is that black dude in a cowboy hat? And then when I found out he was running against Marjorie Taylor Greene, okay, I stalked him on Twitter until he finally agreed to do a Giles Files podcast interview. Yes, I did. We're building a movement to unseat Marjorie Taylor Greene here in Georgia, and our campaign is fueled by grassroots donations like yours. So please chip in whatever you can and help us restore honor, decency, and integrity to Congress. Thank you. We are very glad to have you. Thanks for joining us. Of course. Well, we're big fans. We're here to support you. Thank you. Uh, and I've already sent you money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I said I'll wait till the interview, and then I'll send the money. <laughs> have, you know, I appreciate every dollar. You know, it's. I'm sure. So, are you in your media room? You're at home in the like Marcus Flowers media room. I'm in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> That's another word for media room. All right. Well, let's literally. Yeah. Um, I just want to ask, of course, um, you know, the obvious question, which is what made you decide to throw your hat in the race to start with? Well, that, that question, I have to go back to 2020 to fully answer that question. You know, back in 2020, I was your I was your typical government official uh, working for the Department of Defense and Compliance, you know, I enjoyed my job. Um, 
actually, you know, I've really, really had a good time doing my job. And I got to meet a lot of people, do a lot of traveling. But what kind of got me off of the sideline there? And I always considered myself an apolitical person, nonpartisan. You know, since Bill Clinton, I've served every president up until President Biden. But watching George Floyd be murdered at the knee of a police officer was just it was really, really unsettling. And it, it struck a, a chord with me. I mean, of course, we've seen that before several times, um, but that was different. That was different. You know, watching someone so callously kneel on the neck of a black man that could have been me, could have been my brother, could have been one of my uncles. And my uncles were police captains. My granddaddy was a sheriff in rural Alabama. So I knew that's not who we were. I knew that's not how our police officers who swore an oath to protect and serve, just like I swore an oath to support and defend the Constitution. I knew that's not who we were. So I got on social media for the first time, started talking to people, uh, just having the conversation. I wanted to get involved. And then John Lewis, my idol, we share a birthplace, Troy, Alabama. Um, he died. And I listened to John Lewis's final message, you know, answer the highest calling of your heart and stand up for what you truly believe. And that kept resonating with me over the course of the summer. And I watched Marjorie Taylor Greene win a primary and she was eventually going to be our, our Congresswoman because the Democrat who was running against her dropped out of the race due to personal issues and maybe some threats from mm. you know, people in the district. Oh, uh, so I reached out to her and said, hey, walk back some of the disparaging remarks you're making, some of these wild conspiracy theories and nothing. But what really got me into this race was watching what happened on January 6th. I knew I had to do something. And that message from John Lewis just kept playing in the back of my head. And I knew I realized it was just God telling me, son, I've got other plans for you. Because my plan was to retire from government in 10 years and go coach soccer or fish or learn how to play golf or something. Right. But I resigned wow. my post as a government official the very next day, January 7th, and decided to run for Congress against Marjorie Taylor Greene because I'd seen the part she played in the insurrection. So right. that's why I did it. But going but back, you were back telling, to you were telling us a, in a little bit about your background. Yeah, so joined the Army at 18 years old. Um, I spent, well, I started out in the reserves and I went active duty at the age of 20. And I left the country for the next 20 years uh, working in Europe, uh, the Balkans. Um, I spent a decade in combat zones in Iraq and Afghanistan. I did peacekeeping missions in the Balkans, humanitarian efforts in Sudan. You know, so I, you know, as a defense contractor and a government official, you know, I've traveled the world serving the country. I've lost friends and colleagues overseas in combat zones. And then, I, you know, I came back home, you know, to serve here. And it was a different place when I got back. You know, I could, I could see the level of misinformation and disinformation, that same type of disinformation and misinformation that got my friends killed overseas. Mm. You know, we all swore an oath to protect and serve this country. And seeing my congresswoman, having sworn that same oath that I swore, not take it seriously and be a part of an insurrection, you know, it's just too much for me. This is a country I've served my entire adult life, and I want to see us be our best selves. What are your constituents saying about her now? 
you know, almost to a person, everyone that I talk to. And let me tell you, I'm doing it the old school way because that's what I know. I get out and I knock on doors every day. This is good. Um, you know, I pound the pavement. I talk to people and I don't always know if I'm talking to a Democrat, an independent or Republican, but almost to a person. They were embarrassed by her. Hmm. Embarrassed. Now, yes, of course, there's going to be about maybe a third of the district that votes for her because she's got an R by her name. But that's not going to be enough to win for her this time. Because I think people have seen enough of this, this divisiveness, this white hot rhetoric. That's all too commonplace in our political discourse nowadays. People want effective and efficient governance. What has she actually accomplished? Because other than the crazy tweets and the insurrection, I don't what see her done? name on any, um, any bills, any anything. She's on no committees. I think she was She's on no some committees. committees. Yeah. Correct? on no committees because even her own Republican colleagues feel that she is too radical and dangerous to sit on committees. Mm, mm, mm. Her own 11 Republicans voted her off committees. That's important. But let me sum up what she's done for our district in one word. Zero. My enemies on both the left and the right will never admit it out loud, but I've become one of the most effective members in Congress for the Republican Party. Simply by one thing, you guys, demanding that our party fight for our values of our voters, not the interests of corporate donors or Washington insiders. Well, now we have to think about gerrymandering. How are you going to work around that? Because it's obvious they're not going to play nice. Now, here's the issue here in Georgia's 14th congressional district. It actually got bluer. We drew in parts of Metro Atlanta into the district, and Marjorie Taylor Greene did not like that. You know, as soon as she realized that Metro Atlanta had been drawn in what we call Cobb County here, uh, Southwest Cobb County. She came out immediately and said she didn't want those people, those people, quote unquote, in our district. Whereas I said, wait a minute, these are our people. These are Georgians. Of course, we want them to be represented. And they felt immediately disenfranchised by her. So guess who I'm talking to about what we're going to do? <laughs> Good, because that's something um, Nancy and I have discussed ad nauseum, you know, Michelle Obama used to say, when they go low, we go high. And we've been like, Democrats, we need to win. We need, partly need to go lower. These people don't play. Well, I guess that, that makes me a small D Democrat because I don't mind not pulling any punches when it comes to Marjorie Taylor Greene. I'm not going in with kid gloves here. Yeah. We're dealing with one of the most dangerous Congress persons there has ever been. Mm. Because regardless of all the other issues that we need to be addressing here right. in Northwest Georgia, I let people know what's really on the ballot. Voting rights, yes. Mm -hmm. Our kids' education, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> infrastructure, jobs, yes. But number one, democracy is on the ballot this time. Because if we don't hold a line in 2022, it's going to be a dry run for an authoritarian takeover in 24. Because guess Guess what? If Trump comes back into office, it's game over for this democracy as we know it. Got to hold the line here. Mm -hmm. Democrats have got to hold 
and make gains. Definitely the Senate, but we have to we have to hold the House as well. Yes, Um, I think there's a pathway to that, but we got to start talking about the issues and not get distracted or get down in the weeds. Mm -hmm. So I keep it on the issues. That's what I talk to people about every day. I talk to them about what servant leadership should look like. You mentioned, you know, keeping focus on the issues because yes, the Republicans are very clever at putting these wedge issues uh, and, and making, and them kind of coming to light all the time. And um, one that I think hurt Democrats in the last election was that phrase about defunding the police when I think it really should have been, if anything, reallocating funds. And you're in a really good position to speak to that from, and see both sides of, of the argument. No one really wants to defund the police. Now, I am about giving the police not only the funds that they need, but the training that they need. And when we're talking about dealing with mental health issues, you know, not every police officer is going to be trained to even recognize that. Let's, let's be quite frank here. You know, so that recognition of a mental health issue by all police officers or bring in people who are mental health professionals who can assist in de-escalating. Uh, we've seen that all too many times where you know, police officers handle it the wrong way mm-hmm. and it escalates. Uh, so let's let's get that done. Um, there are other wedge issues that have been flying up lately. Oh, yes. uh, critical race theory where it doesn't even apply. Um, mm-hmm. That leading to um, books being banned. Well, our friend Joy Reid said that uh, history is not an indictment. It's just history. And I couldn't agree with her more. You know, that's uh, my sister teaches in uh, our district here. Uh, my, my daddy was a teacher for 31 years in our district before he died. You know, I don't think anyone's teaching any theory anywhere in K through 12, first and foremost. Um, again, Republican messaging and this, these wedge issues that they've successfully implanted, just throwing red meat at the base. Right. And, and I can't, I, I hesitate to say base because that's the far right, the loud far right. And, you know, we have a loud far left as well, but they're getting so much of the attention. Let's get back to the issues. You know, there is no critical race theory being taught in our K through 12 schools. It, it, it's just ridiculous. That up into, into like banning books and actually yeah. trying to well, we know where that comes from. Well, the whole banning books. It. That's a really, really far right white supremacist type thing where, you know, you don't want certain things talked about. And if you can use that as a successful wedge to fire up people, you know, you know just saying the word gay or indoctrinating our kids, you know, these little phrases that they use to, you know, work on people's emotions and feelings. Let's get back to the common sense issues. Usually I pivot to, look, what's more important to you? How much money you're bringing into your household, getting your kids a good education, you know, banning books in school. That's not going to stop people from reading them. Actually, I think, what was it? The mouse book. It drove sales up of that book. Um, so. Yeah, that's true. And the Ted Cruz book about uh, uh, racist an, babies. Racist baby, <laughs> that went through the roof once he threw it that. It goes through the roof. I'm so. glad for him. Glad for Keneally, whatever, you know, I'm glad for him. Yeah. yeah. Going back to do you think critical race theory should be taught in schools? I think it should be taught where it's being taught now. And that's an advanced uh, law degree in uh, graduate school. 
you know, that's something that, what is that constitutional law? And you're looking at the issues that affect people and, you know, maybe redlining and things like that and how, you know, it, that still has an impact on our culture. And it's a, yeah, it's a very specific, like you said, a very specific law school term that now has been used to mean anything regarding black people and civil rights or anything. It seems like it or anything that's going to make white people uncomfortable. No, and that's, that's not, and that's a great point. That's how they're using it, that it's somehow black history now. And it's morphed into, yeah, maybe we shouldn't be teaching black history. That's what CRT is. That's what people are thinking. And I tell people, look, we have a shared history in this country. Again, history is not an indictment. It's just history. Mm-hmm. Do you want to learn our shared hi- about our shared history, whether you call it Black history, uh, Latino, Hispanic history, uh, whatever Native you call American, it, yeah. American history, you know, Asian American history. It's all of our shared history. Let's talk about it. Let's get the truth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's so much when I look back on the history that I learned in high school. Now, I didn't learn a lot of things until much later in life. And I'm talking in my thirties and forties, you know, where I learned the truth about certain things, but I had to dig for that myself. What were some of those things? Having grown up in the South, you know, you always heard about heritage versus hate when it comes Hmm. to the Confederate battle flag. I drilled down on those topics (laughs) for me specifically. And I found out, you know, that, Hey, this, flag that they're flying it's not even the confederate battle flag that was a part of the flag of the northern army of virginia so that was neither iteration of the real confederate battle flag and i really found out you know why states really seceded from the union i read all of their decrees and it wasn't just about states rights it was really just about slavery so wow so that's messed up But it's another one of those uh, red meat issues and catchphrases, states' Mm. rights. We know what that means. You know what it means. Yeah, yeah. Um, What about uh, your views on gun control? You know, I swore an oath to support and defend the Constitution. So I support all amendments, Second Amendment included. You know, I'm a responsible gun owner. I think most people are responsible gun owners. But here's the thing about our amendments. They all have borders around them. You know, you can't purchase a rocket launcher or have a tank. So common sense gun reform, as I like to think, violent history background checks. I think these are things that we should be doing. I think these are things that most Americans agree on. And like right now here in Georgia, you know, our governor is considering signing a bill Second Amendment carry, meaning anyone can just carry a weapon, you know, violent people with violent histories, people with, you know, domestic violence in their background, they can carry a weapon. That's dangerous. And it just makes me sigh because it's so bad here and we know we can do something about it, but we can't even have that conversation because of people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who won't even let us have that conversation something that most Americans agree on. Right. And I love what the president's done by banning ghost guns right now. You know, you have to take those executive measures when you can't have, when you don't have a Congress that's willing to sit down and talk about gun legislation, common sense gun legislation. You need to. 
Yeah, those ghost guns without any, uh, you know, serial numbers or any way to identify them. That's a nightmare. Dangerous. I, I wonder what would happen if we had a big uh, national black people buy guns kind of program. How quickly that might change some of the attitudes yeah. on gun laws. You know exactly laws. where that would go. So. Yeah, yeah, you know. It would be outrage. Uh, <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, gee whiz. Um, so just going back again to your district and that there are people who did vote for Marjorie Taylor Greene. And I'm trying to like, I'm just thinking like you thinking are what, what kinds of things can you say to those voters that might turn their heads and bring them in? Nothing. I don't have to I don't have to say much to a lot of them because some of them come to me and say, wow, you know, well, I did vote for her the first time, but I didn't know, you know, what I was getting into. And she is embarrassing. She's crazy. If you're the candidate after the primary, we're voting for you. And these are Republicans talking. Wonderful. Q is a patriot. We know that for sure, but we do not know who Q is. People believe that Q is someone very close to President Trump. According to him, many in our government are actively worshiping Satan, or they call Moloch. I mean, is it going to be true that the child pedophilia and the elites in the Washington, D.C., is that what we're really going to see come out? Is it going to be satanic worship? How important is the idea that seems to have been lost lately of truth versus lies? You know, people are going to news sources that aren't really news. And I get that. And that's a part of our larger fight. You know, people go to these news sites that reinforce what they're hearing on Facebook or from people that they love. And that's a hard thing to do when you're trying to dis dissuade someone from from listening to sources that they think are reliable. I, I should put it that way. And sometimes those sources are people that they love, like their brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers and Fox News. I think these are trusted sources and they sometimes can't tell the difference between opinions and actual news. Right. Um, so I try to meet people where they are. That's uh, you know one of the traits I've carried with me throughout my career. Just meet people where they are and then have the conversation from there try to inject a little critical thinking into it and say, well, what about this? Or not what about ism, but if that's true, then what about this issue? Right. You know, when you have those conversations, you're not always going to win. You're not always going to win people over, but when you get them to think about, okay, well, hmm, you know, or the fact that sometimes two things can be true at once. <laughs> right. That's critical so, thinking right there, you know. Um, Sean Penn recently was on Sean Hannity on Fox News, and I think he was on Lawrence O'Donnell on MSNBC talking about the Ukraine issues. He was like, I'm going to take what I want to say and take it to anybody. So will you will you be doing that? You you would go on Fox News, you'd go on all of the news shows to talk about where you stand? Hey, sure, why not? I'll talk okay. with anyone as long as they're you know willing to have a discussion in good faith uh -huh. you know someone like calls him yeah he'd probably be ridiculous but you know i'll go have the conversation and talk about what it is that i want to do for the people of northwest georgia i'll do that with anyone good to hear good to hear you are a you're a really really cool candidate i mean i sent you money i support you and 
you know, we think we really wanted to give you a chance to tell your story and promote yourself. Um, I have to ask you, um, well, both of us, Nance, you know, we read that thing in the New Republic, mm -hmm. that article. About your, your divorce. I read two articles and both say that you had no comment. I know they're going to use that against you. Oh, of course, they're going to try. Uh, and we wanted to give you an opportunity to get out in front of it and tell your side. Well, here's, here's one thing that I'm never going to do. I'm never going to throw my ex-wife under the bus. I mean, she's, God bless her. She does have some challenges. But we're talking about the mother of my daughter, my nine-year-old daughter, mm -hmm. who I have sole custody of. So there's a reason that I have sole custody of my nine-year-old daughter. Anything that I say at some point in time, my daughter is going to hear about it. And she's never going to hear me disparage my ex-wife. That will never happen ever. I like many Americans have gone through a divorce and child custody. We know that sometimes those aren't always easy. That's pretty much all I have to say about it. I think it's a really good thing that you at least talked a little bit about what's going on, uh, what went on with your ex-wife and your daughter. And you might like use that. It's a, it's a good package of sentences as opposed to, I don't want to comment at all. No, we're not here to pry. And no. But I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think that answer is going to fly. I advise, it is my wish I advise you to come up with maybe a little bit more because they're going to say he's hiding something and they're going to run with that. Yeah, so they could go look into it and find out he's not really hiding anything. It's mm -hmm. the truth. And they, and okay. here's the thing these guys have looked at the court records mm -hmm. and they cherry picked what they wanted to find. Mm -hmm. All of the sensationalism that comes along from places like New Republic, you know, I take that with a grain of salt. These are, you know, they look for sensationalism and it's ridiculous. It's lies, it's misinformation and disinformation. And guess mm -hmm. what? That was planted by the Green campaign. That's something her and her husband have been trying to push for the last year. You know, I would see her and her husband in my Twitter feed and Facebook feed pushing these things. Mm -hmm. But what they leave out is courts decided that my daughter was in a good place with me and that's where she should stay. Understood. So. Um, and there even seemed to be some questions, quote unquote, about your military work. And I mean, I remember <laughs> reading that, you know, you had a pretty high security clearance, right? It's like, sure. I, he, I, I don't think he's hiding anything you got, but yeah, you know, again. One article said, well, he maybe was working for Blackwater. I've never worked for Blackwater. I don't have any kind of relationship with Eric Prince. I've told people openly, my background is in logistics and compliance. That's what I do. But I come from the world of intelligence and electronics warfare. Ooh. Okay. Top secret security clearance. You don't talk about the things that you did. And I have non-disclosure agreements. So I don't talk about the companies that I work for. It's just a blanket thing. But my job was to support the warfighter, to increase their lethality and other places. I worked on NATO training missions. So I trained other soldiers from different countries, our Afghan and Iraqi allies and partners and their police. And working for the Department of Defense, I worked in compliance. 
So I oversaw defense contractors. I mean, not hiding anything. There's nothing right. to hide. Period. So, End of sentence. We don't talk about classified things. Yeah. <laughs> I could go into Congress today and sit in a classified briefing tomorrow. So that's uh, something that they should consider. I think they don't. They haven't considered that. Wow, that's deep. A lot of Congress people don't have that. Most Congress people don't have that clearance. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Correct. yeah I would. Yeah, let's flaunt that. I know. <laughs> That's a good one. Highlight that. Flaunt yeah. that. Yeah. We're the majority who, after Roe versus Wade is overturned, will protect the lives of the innocent children in the womb from the moment of conception. You know, another issue that can be a wedge issue, and it has been for the longest kind of time, is a woman's right to choose. And I always think it's interesting that Many of the people who claim to be pro-life, once those lives are born, well, they don't care. Just for the record, you're, now I'm throwing it at you. And you, what do you think? I'm pro-choice, you know, and I've always have been. You know, that's a decision that's between a woman and her doctor, mm -hmm. her family, and, you know, her church, if that's, you know, if she's a religious person or a person mm -hmm. of faith. Mm -hmm. So uh, now that doesn't mean I'm, pro having abortions all the time. I'm anti-abortion actually, but I think there's a difference. You know, I'm totally against government mandated pregnancy. And look, I grew up in poverty, uh, spent part of my childhood in a children's home. So I get it. These are, these are tough things. I'm glad my mother had me, but you know, but in questions of incest and rape and things like that, you know, that's a tough thing. And that should be up to a woman and her doctor and her family yeah. to make that decision. Should we talk about voter suppression and what's going on in your state? You know, I'm educating people at the door about that. And I get these questions all the time. Um, you know, I talk about early voting, get out early, make a plan, you know, and, you know, people are quite upset about the whole not being able to give water or food to people standing in lines for hours. And they're upset about souls to the polls and taking away voting on Sunday and moving ballot boxes inside. You know, they're upset about these things, but I let them know, you know, just because they're trying to take away your voice, you can't let them be successful at it. No, no got to make no. a plan. We've got to get out and vote. And hey, we've, got, we've got to vote in numbers so big that they can't deny it. They can't right. say it was stolen. We know that they will. That's going to be say the it anyway. That's become the uh, new rallying cry. You know, just if, if you lose an election, then it was rigged somehow. You know, <laughs> it can't only be a fair election when you win. Nancy, you want to so go? We with... have our fun flash questions. Well, let's do it. <laughs> Peanut butter or jelly? Peanut butter, especially in cookies. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, LPs or Spotify? Hmm. See, that's a tough one because I'm gonna go Spotify. Even though oh, I'm <laughs> I am so disappointed. The convenience. What, the convenience. What's your reservation? <laughs> the convenience. Oh. The convenience. I can switch from one artist to the next seamlessly. <laughs> so yeah, that sound, you though, you know, I I grew I, up with that sound. My grandmother had this uh, this big stereo system you know it's like a floor <laughs> deal that you pulled the top open oh open, yeah yeah a console mm -hmm. i think i got in trouble one time for tearing up a 45 uh, you know, get, you know, playing with it, but yeah just, 
We're gonna go with Spotify. Just okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Um, Tina Turner or Lizzo? I'm Tina Turner. Ah, all right. My so, man of a certain age, so you know. <laughs> yep, we get it. Nancy's was pro kids are Converse All Stars because I'm of a certain age. Because yeah, and I said no, we got to do Air Jordans or, and we never came up with that. <laughs> so I had Converse All Stars. All right. Day, so, you know, I have to I have to stick with the Converse. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. I stand corrected. That's <laughs> I appreciate that very, very much. I did oh, have a the- Michael Jordan tennis shoes, one pair. You know, I had to work all summer to earn the money to buy them because they were mm-hmm. like, you know, this is back in the early 90s. It was yeah, 110 were- bucks. And I was, oh, was my I mean, whole summer's work. Right, right. It was the last pair. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, that's something because now 110 bucks is a cheap sneaker. <sighs> That was like a whole mm-hmm. oh, was hell crazy bailing yeah. hay and cutting grass. <laughs> and I think I had to wash a few cars in there as well. So, Hey, Marcus, you know, that reminds me, I, I, I don't want to make you go back in time, but you mentioned that you grew up for a while in a, in a children's home that, and to make that, to have that kind of as part of your past and then go on and achieve all the things that you did is pretty remarkable. Can you talk a little bit about that? You know, it was because, you know, my family, like many other families, we, you know, we went through some extremely tough times. I told you, I grew up in poverty, you know, that's, you know, mother and father were separated for a while and then I ended up in a, in a children's home for a, a bit. And, um, but there were great people that I was there with and, you know, the kids there became like my brothers and sisters. So, you know, and that helped me get through some, some tough things. I mean, and, and again, that, being in a situation like that where you didn't have your parents around, uh, you know, of course you're going to go to school and some kids are going to, you know, pick on you and bully you a little bit because, you know, you're poor and you don't have great clothes and you don't have your parents around, but that, you know, that taught me some lessons and it taught me how to deal with bullies at a early age. Which mm. While we were talking before these things that they're going to come at me with, you know, they're just going to roll off my back. Like, okay. you know, I always wanted to be in the army because I'd seen, you know, one of my uncles wearing uniforms. So, you know, we talked about that a lot. You know, I want to join the army. This is why, you know, because I thought it was cool to serve. And, mm-hmm. you know, before my grandfather died, I watched him serve the community and my uncles, you know, so I was just like, yeah, that's what I want to do. Right. Mm-hmm. And they pushed me towards that. So. And what kind of lessons do you think the army taught you that are going to be good lessons when you do get elected as the new congressperson for the 14th district? Here's the thing about that, Nancy. The Army teaches Army's core values are selfless service, integrity, honor, decency. Um, but I learned all of those things coming up as a kid in rural Alabama. The Army solidified them for me. So that's I had them before I got there. Maybe okay. that's why you know I did so well in the Army. Um, but I enjoyed my time serving in the military and I enjoyed my time after you know, both in and out of uniforms. So. And you've got some very cool endorsements I've noticed too. Uh, let's see, Eric Swalwell. Congressman Swalwell, uh, great. Oh, Ambassador Andrew Young. Vote Vets is one of the national organizations that uh, has endorsed us, the Congressional Black Caucus PAC. Excellent. Um, so, yeah. Now I'm running for Congress because Georgians deserve better. Better health care, COVID relief, 
and real representation. The Army Corps values teach honor, personal courage, and selfless service. That's what I'll bring to Congress. I hope you'll join me on my next mission. This black dude with a cowboy hat, I was telling Nancy, because I have not seen many of those. We're, we're Northern girls. Yeah, I tell people, you know, my style is a bit more West Texas than West Georgia, but I got the cowboy hat thing from my granddaddy. You know, he died when I was 11 years old and I was, you know, a little lad watching him, the only black sheriff in, in a rural Alabama probably at that time. Um, I'd watch him and I'd see him out on the farm with his cowboy hat on and I'd see him around town in his sheriff's hat. You know, it was just, you know, I looked up to that man. He was a big man. So... You know, that's how I honor him. My dad also wore cowboy hats as well before he died. So that was, uh, that's how I honor the men in my family. And by the way, your grandfather, was that an elected office, that sheriff's office? Did people vote for him or was he appointed? Because that sounds pretty historic. I'm sure he was elected to that position. I remember when I was very young, but usually sheriffs are elected. All right. You'll walk in his steps. You know, this is the first time I'm ever running for anything outside of running for school class president in 10th grade. But yeah, that's uh, okay. How I won did that you do? one. So maybe all right. All right. <laughs> all right. So you're going to win this one too. We'll see if I'm two for two. Let's go for that. Yeah. Yeah. Go for oh, it. Marcus. Thank you so much. Thank you. From class president to congressman, you go, Marcus Flowers. And note to producer Nancy Wyatt girl, you need to send him a donation. Well, that's our show. Thanks to our sponsor, BetterHelp. Join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with a BetterHelp therapist. And remember, as a special offer to Giles Files listeners, you'll get 10% off of your first month if you use the code betterhelp.com slash gilesfiles. That's betterhelp.com slash gilesfiles. And a big thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring our podcast. Extra special thanks to Marcus Flowers, Democratic candidate for the House of Representatives in Georgia's 14th District. Everyone who listens, volunteer, phone bank, go door to door, donate. Give Marcus your support in any way you can. And you can get more information at MarcusForGeorgia.com. Help turn Georgia blue in 2022. The Giles Files was created by Nancy Giles and Nancy Wyatt. Produced, directed, and edited by Nancy Wyatt and recorded at our studios in Weehawken, New Jersey. Be sure to check out The Giles Files on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And hey, write us a review. Tell us what you think. We want to hear from you. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Giles Files. Okay? Huda Media Production.